Hello, and welcome back to another episode of After School with Dylan Mack. Today we interview Robin Spiegel, partner at Allen & Overy. Robin is an active member of legal committees and has contributed as an author of Kohler and Bankruptcy. Her work involves in-court and out-of-court company restructuring, as well as representing clients in sales tr- transactions. Today, we asked Robin how she became a trusted expert in the field, what compromises she made to get her success, how she views work-life balance, and everything in between. Hello, Robin. Thank you so much for being on the show today. And, uh, you know, I've said this in every episode, but my parents do still hate that I ask this informal question. But I just want to ask you straight away, like, give us to the audience who doesn't know you, who you are, what you do, you know, and everything, anything you think that's important. Well, it's good to see you, Dylan. Thank you for having me on your show. Excited to be here. I am... um, Robin Spiegel. I am a partner at a law firm called Allen and Overy. Uh, I work in Midtown. Um, I am a restructuring lawyer, which basically means that I help financially distressed companies with their restructuring strategies and helping them get through either bankruptcy or to reorganize, sell themselves, or to do some sort of deal out of court. I also represent creditors um, who participate in, you know, different types of distressed um, transactions. No, that's great. Yeah, I don't know. I don't really know much about. Um, uh, I know many kids don't about like the whole lawyer world. We just know it's a very prestigious career. It feels like, but um, on the on the show, I've actually had two other lawyers. One though is like a fertility clinic like CEO and the other one's like a like a sports a sports gambling lawyer. So I guess there's many different lawyers, but um I have a signature question on the show that um I'd love to ask you, which is basically, I don't know if you heard it. Imagine you're like, you know, my age, 17 years old, you're junior, senior, ugh, I don't want to be senior, junior, senior, <laughs> sophomore. <laughs> and um you just got back from school, right? It's a random Tuesday night. You know, nothing crazy, no Friday, no weekend. What are you doing? Are you super studious and you're going to finish the homework right away? Are you social? Are you hanging out with some friends? You know, are you a foodie and you, yeah. I'm a foodie now, but I was not then. Um, after school, I played sports. Uh, so Really? I did, sports player? Yes. I uh, played soccer. And uh, ran track also. So usually after school, I was doing something with the team oriented. Um, but then when I got home, I was very studious and did my homework <laughs> until being a lawyer, you know, yeah. the uh, until very late. I seemed to work harder than a lot of people that I went to high school with. So for better or worse, the good <laughs> work good. ethic. That's yes. Good. yes. So, but I was always doing something as um, a teenager in terms of extracurriculars. Uh, I was, Were you like I was a, a doer. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, more than me. Were you considered like a like I don't know what the word is like 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 the people see you and they're like, oh, that's like that's that's the social Robin, or is it like, oh, that's the like studious like 
Like, did you, I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, did you, did you talk to a lot of people and, or did you have like, your just like close knit friends that like, you know, you'd no, hang out? No, I mean, I went to school in the suburbs and there were big groups of friends. You know, you had your sort of little groups and huge groups and it was the eighties, not to date myself, but you know, you've seen <laughs> the movies, um, you know, everyone liked to hang out uh, with each other. So it was very social, uh, at a very social high school experience. If somebody great, you, you see like the classic eighties experience. I'm jealous. I did. Now I have like I all this stuff. My, <laughs> my experience has been COVID. It's nothing too. Well, I think you've worked <laughs> in some fun in between before and after. No, yeah. Right here. This is fun. But, yeah. um, anyways, I, so I'm assuming sports was just a hobby. You never thought it, or it was something you were going to pursue. Uh, unless you were thinking about it potentially. Professionally? No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. I played soccer in college, um, you know, but it was Division three, so it was really more of a social Hey, still, outlet. that's really good. Yeah, it's more of a social outlet. still play now? Or? I do not. I do you not. Gotta, you got to get back on. Yeah. On. Yeah. No, I uh, do other exercises now. Leave the soccer, <laughs> you know, but, um, for younger people. Yeah, so <laughs> did you um, – I'm curious – about then why this why law just give us first yeah just first like a, a big you know first general right we don't want to go in specifics now but so i'll tell you when i've interviewed mo- uh, most people i've had either normally it's like for example i was actually at the eye doctor today uh-huh. and uh this guy was like my grandpa had like leukemia or no Glaucoma, sorry, not leukemia. Glaucoma, which is like eye. <laughs> right. Leuke- right glaucoma. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ugh. Anyway, they they all sound the same to me. But um, and he was inspired. You know, he was like he went blind unfortunately, and he was like if like we had basic eye, you know, basic eye doctor could have saved him and his vision. So he was like that was a specific event that you know moved him versus some people had like more like their parents already doing it. It kind of gradually they were interested in it and they pursued it. So I was just wondering if. Which category you think you fall into? Nobody in my family was a lawyer. Um, so I think at just a young age, I sort of had it in my mind that I was going to become a lawyer. I was very into you know, advocacy and what I perceived a lawyer to be. I have no idea where I came up with the idea when I was young, like in law school, I mean, law school, <laughs> in elementary school. Um, you know, I had the idea that I wanted to be a lawyer sort of along the way. Maybe I thought I would do this or that. But ultimately, once I you know, got to high school and college, I knew that I would do something law related. When I went to college, I thought that I would do more politics. And I worked in politics um, during, um, during, during college and also right after college for a year and then decided to go to law school and became a law firm lawyer from there. So I bet your parents were very on board with you becoming a lawyer or? Um, yes, of course. Uh, it's just my mother very... and she uh, is a nurse. And mm-hmm. so she was more than happy for me to become a lawyer. And, you know, I was ambitious. And so, you know, she was happy for me to to see me succeed. Great. So let's just talk about um, more about that. So when you were trying to you know, become a lawyer at law school, I bet it's very intimidating. And the, so on the podcast, we also ask very like more uh, like mental, you know, psychological, like, you know, attitude questions. So I bet you were, you know, it was very stressful, intimidating. 
did you ever feel like imposter syndrome when you were there or, you know, feelings of like, you know, worry or you were always confident? And if you were, how, how did you maintain your like composure? Um, I think imposter syndrome came later in life, not in school. Um, I just studied a lot. So I was confident in my abilities and, um, it didn't, I don't think it occurred to me at that point that there wasn't something that I could succeed with. So it, I just did school. I mean, you know, you're a student, so you study and you participate in class and you put all the effort you can in your work. So you, just, you had a knack for all this like <laughs> testing and like studying stuff, huh? Um, the, the LSATs were actually very hard for me. Um, so that wasn't my, my crowning uh, achievement, <laughs> but um, otherwise, yeah, I put up my all into everything that I do generally speaking. And, you know, I don't let adversity uh, if it gets in my way, I just keep scratching and clawing to get what I want, um, or I always have. I do think, though, I mean, you touch upon imposter syndrome. I think that, you know, as a for a career, that has come up more in my career than it did during schooling. So um, I think, you know, when I was a student, I just put my head down. You know, I was smart, but I also worked really, really hard to make sure that I was, you know, at the top of everything. It was not like a natural thing. Some people can not study. I always was a big, I'm a hard worker. You had a very natural for hard work. Yes. Which is something that you can't teach either. Uh, I'm curious about then, you know, do you think, because I, like, for example, like, I know a lot of people have imposter syndrome you know, whether you're in, you know, you're in school, right, for like, I know some seniors or like, you know, rising freshmen in college, they, they feel like, oh, I don't know if I was supposed to get in here. And then even like my parents, you know, they're like, do I really know what I'm doing? <laughs> like, you know, and they, they, they get nervous too. I'm wondering, like, how do you handle that? Because I know, especially with um kids my age, like everyone's very self, you know, lack of, like, they're pretty self-conscious. We're pretty like worried. I was wondering how you deal with that. Look, I think um, when you're a student, you have to have confidence in yourself um, and believe that even if it doesn't come naturally, that you can study and learn things. I think everyone has their own you know, special qualities and not everyone has to be straight A student. You have to be the best at what you can be. And if you put the effort in, then you should feel confident um, in the things that you do, you know, for example, if you're talking about somebody who thinks that maybe they shouldn't be there, like, you know, I think, you know, everyone has like a natural inclination to sort of doubt themselves, but you have to push, push through that and believe that, you know, everyone puts on their pants one leg at a time, everyone, you know, we're all basically equal. And so it's the effort that you put into something that makes you, you know, successful, I think it doesn't matter, for example, where you go to school necessarily. It's, you know, it doesn't mean that where you go will make you succeed. It's a matter of what effort you put into wherever you are is what make it, what will make you successful. I'm a true believer in people who, you know, that are meant to be successful are those people who put effort into whatever their, their dream is or whatever it is that they want. So I think... Everyone has doubts, but you have to just really remind yourself that you can do it. And wherever you are, you're meant to be there. 
You have to believe so you, that. Yeah. You're a believer that, like, if you really want it, you you can get it, you think? Like, if you really, really want it, like... For the most part, within reason. Yeah. Of course, yeah. I want to fly. Right, fly. exactly. Uh, for the most um, part, I think that's true. I think if you have drive, there's lots of ways to find, you know, your way into things, you know, making connections, um, you know, networking, doing things, you know, trying to get where you want to where, where go. But you have to set goals for yourself and then figure out, you know, in baby steps how you're going to achieve them. Yeah. No, that's great. Um, and also, I'm also curious because so you said you work with um, a lot of people. I mean, you know, you're going back and forth communicating with a lot of people, and unlike, you know, some, um, on the show that were more introverted, you seem like you're more extroverted. However, I assume that obviously your communication skills with like just in general with people has gotten better over time. Like, how did how did that you know how 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 can someone train something like that? You know, because I know some people that they want to get out there, you know, even students in my in our own school and like, you know, they're they're introverted, they're scared and they don't, you know, they see people like, for example, like you and they're like, oh, my God. So like this and that's so a talented. But obviously, everyone's had to improve. Like, I guess what, you know, how did you improve? Well, I would say question. I kind of recycled. Sorry, but <laughs> I would tell you that I am introverted um, in oh, some really? respects. Yeah, it is mm-hmm. not. I'm not a natural speaker. Um, public speaker. I go to court, so I have to be figure out how to present and present well, right, to advocate for my clients. But it does not come naturally to me, and it's not what I prefer to do by any stretch. But I do think that the way to do, I think, almost everything. When I was younger, in high school, in college, wherever I needed to be, I even if it's if you feel like you're dying inside, still push myself to, you know, call people, make this, have discussions, you know, the way, part of the way you can become a good speaker is to practice out loud by yourself as to what you want to say, you know, when you're going to say it. And, you know, maybe it feels unnatural to do that or embarrassing, but nobody else will see you. And the more that you practice, I think the better you are in terms of your presentation. I know like when I go to court, before I go to court, I always think through what I'm going to say. I'll put an outline together and then I actually do the whole advocacy, you know, to whoever's in the room in my family or to the mirror, whatever it is. But, you know, you push yourself through so that you can feel confident when you're speaking. Yeah, and how would you say you've, you know, learned to, like, think on your feet? I know you're not really thinking on your feet. You have, like, you know, you've obviously prepared, but I bet some, like, I guess um, curveballs is what I'd say. How, how have you improved with, like, that skill, like, improvisation? Yeah, that's a hard skill, I will say. I mean, I'm surrounded by really smart people, um, and I have been for most of my career, some of whom are unbelievable um, on their feet. I mean, the, they, they, their thought process is so quick. And I think that that is just personally, I think that's sort of innate. I think some people are just really good at, you know, conjuring up exactly what they want to say when they want to say it. So I'm a more thoughtful um, person. I'm not, you know, usually I'd prefer to know the questions, for example, or like try to think through what the questions are going to be. For example, when I go to court, 
I go through it in my head, like, what do I think the judge is going to say? What is he going to ask me? And then I'll practice what those, um, you know, what those answers are. But of course, I can't guess everything, every question. Yeah. So you have to just be confident. So it goes back to your imposter syndrome. You have to be confident that in the knowledge, right? Why did you study or why do you learn something? You know, if you're confident, you'll find the answer. But it doesn't have to be just because you you can't answer right, you know, right away like that. If you take a second, think about it and answer, that doesn't make you a bad presenter. That actually, I think it just makes you more thoughtful or thoughtful, more thoughtful. Would you say that um, like an aspiring lawyer should strive for one or the other? You think it's just like, it's just who you are and you just, you should just go with like what you're given. I think that you probably are put in a lot of different situations as a lawyer uh, in terms of, you know, your skills. Some, sometimes, you know, the skills where you're, you know, maybe you really take to a subject. And so you develop the skill of being great on your feet because you just know the answers, right? Um, So I don't want to say that you could never just know the answers. I do think, though, that there's some people that are just really great at that and they're really successful and are able to, you know, be, I mean, I think a lot of the, a lot, not probably all, but a lot of the leaders of companies, for example, are great at answering questions on their feet, you know, really have thought through a lot of issues and just are able to, to think, think quickly on their feet. Yeah. I don't know. That's a, that's just like, I don't, I'm not that good at that either. You know, um, um, I'm sure you're better than you think, but I think the more that you put yourself in situations that require it, that naturally the better you will get, right? Yeah, um, it is a somewhat trainable skill, at least I'd assume. I think so. I think so. It also just depends, you know. Sometimes you have to know you have to know the subject to be able to, you know, think quickly. So that's one thing. You know, what's your specialty, for example? Um, you know, I, I think it's definitely something that you could learn and build on over time. But you have to push through insecurity and fear. Um, of saying the wrong thing, you know, being wrong or something like that. And that's the reason why you don't maybe speak up. Um, So I think that those are things that people need to grapple with as well. Yeah. Speaking of being um, very thoughtful, how do you handle and process and learn from, like personally from mistakes? You know, because I know, I know like, including me, like sometimes I'll, I'll have a mistake on my like history paper and I'm like, oh my God. And I get like demotivated. Like, and it's just like a draft, right? It's not even great. I'm like, oh my God, like I'm, it's over. I'm not meant for this. <laughs> like, how do you, yeah. I mean, the best thing you can do is actually learn from your mistakes. In other words, what is your mistake, right? Find out the answer, figure out, you know, why you got it wrong and then learn it and try to take the lesson and apply it the next time. So you, I think the biggest mistake someone could do, for example, in school, is when you get things wrong on a test or whatever, is not figure out why you got it wrong, because then you don't know it, right? So you get back a paper and you have four things wrong. You should be figuring out why you got it wrong so that you can apply those skills in the future. And it makes you more confident to figure that out. So I do think that you know, everyone makes mistakes and whether it's on a school exam or something at work, it's trying to figure out how not to make that mistake going forward. Yeah. And you, you, you think it just comes from like a motivation a want to like be better? Like what if someone's like, ah, oh, you think then they're kind of just like, 
Well, then you don't, <laughs> then you don't learn from the mistake because you don't know yeah. why you made it or how you can apply it, um, you know, going forward. There's certainly mistakes, you know, I've made um, growing up and, or in my career or in my personal life, right? And you think about what the mistakes are and then you try not to make them again. If you're not, if you if you're not uninterested and you don't care that you made the mistake or you don't want to learn, so that's that's your choice. I guess not, I don't yeah, choose that. Not. Yeah, yeah. I mean, also though, with mistakes and all this stuff, it also is a segue into, you know, I know being a lawyer, I've heard it's it's like it's emotionally taxing, and I'm just I'm curious of like, and, and this is just a general question as well for like you know anybody, but. How do you navigate like the emotionally taxing situations like as a lawyer? I guess like what advice would you give for people as well? Like like a work, you know, healthy, what is it? Work-life balance is what it's called? It is called a work-life balance if you're talking about um, not letting work take over your life. Yeah. So, you know, what I do requires really long hours. Um and I think there's an expectation of people entering big law firms uh, that there should be more of a work life balance. I didn't grow up meaning in a law firm. I've been practicing for a long time and I didn't grow up with that. We just work all the time and you fit your <laughs> life in, in between. Um, so you must find like a, just a, like a, a blend almost. Yeah. I, I, for me, absolutely. I'm in the client service business. So if a client needs to talk to me at midnight, I'll be available at midnight. But you know, if I wanted to go out to dinner, um, I'd make sure that I, you know, was able to do that. But you have to balance what's going on at work um, to figure out how to do the work-life balance. And, you know, there's, I think I'm trying to figure out myself uh, how to have a better work-life balance because I don't, that's just not how I grew up being a lawyer, that that was a priority, right? Work was the priority. So uh, that was less it's of a focus. changed over it has changed. Years. And I think law firms like big law firms are trying to accommodate people. Um, but, you know, it is a client service business and clients pay a lot of money and expect um, excellent service and round the clock service, honestly. I mean, obviously you can sleep. <laughs> and they can't. Um, but in terms of the emotional taxing part, I mean, being a lawyer, um, depending on what you do, um, can be very contentious. And um, you can really take things personally. You know, people are fighting a lot. Um, and I think that you have to figure out for yourself how to take a step back and realize that it's not, that it's a job and you want to do the best job that you can, but it's not, a per it's not personal. And I think for some people, their jobs are probably personal because what they do is, you know, um, not corporate law, maybe, maybe it's more personal to them or to the world or whatever, and they take it personally, but um, you use the words emotionally taxing. And so I think if, you know, there's a difference between having emotionally taxing work and also a life work-life balance, like I see those two things as different, um, different ideas, because you can get really into your job and it can be exhausting depending on what you do, because it drains you emotionally, right? So I think if you could take a step back and not take whatever it is personally and realize like you're trying to get an end to a means and like cut a deal or whatever it is, then 
it makes it easier to get your work done and it's less taxing. And the, the work-life balance we, we talked about, which I think is just different depending on the profession and how you're able to separate it. If you're separate able to separate your work and your, you know, in your life. I feel like no one great. really is. I feel like, like on this show I've had, no one's ever been able to be like, yeah, like five o'clock, I'm done. Like I'm done. That's my work, you know, and now it's my life. I feel like everyone has a, a sort, at least, you know, maybe more or less of a blend. I, yeah, I do. I do think it depends on the type of job, right? The um, Some professions are nine to five and you walk out the door and that's the end of it. Right. And so those, I think you're able to separate it. You know what your hours are and you don't really have to do much after that. And I think other jobs require, you know, if you're in the service industry, if you're in legal industry, it just requires more time and effort, especially if you work at a big firm like I do. Yeah. I mean, it's just, oh my God. Whenever I do these, I'm like, oh, work, taxes, life. (laughs) (laughs) That's why um, you should be enjoying uh, high school and college. Do I know. Put all your effort like, into it, but enjoy. Right, right. I I know when I'm older, I'm gonna be like, oh, back then, so it was so good. <laughs> and I, but um, I'm also curious, and like how you said about mistakes, I realize at least with the people I've had on the show and just in life, many people, you know, there's a people like try not to take things personally. Even like an actor, right? They're like. That's like my, even though you would think like an actor, like that is you, you're li- li- literally getting rejected, but they're like, that's my work. I'm me. And yeah. I, I want to, um, I'm curious for you, like for a mistake, if you ever make a mistake, which obviously we all have, and you kind of touched on it, but like you personally, like, how do you not let that affect your work in the future? Like mentally, like, like, and not get, you know, because I take the mistakes as a learning moment, a teaching moment and use them and make sure that those mistakes don't happen again. So yeah, it's terrible when you make a mistake, uh, something at work. I, you know, I'm sure that I've made tons of mistakes that I don't know about. The ones that I do know about are very far and few between. And luckily for me, knock on wood, they haven't been material. Um, But the, the, you're good. You're good. The mistakes that I have made, you know, a few of them, I really remember what they are and I look out for those types of things going forward. But in terms of dwelling on mistakes, I mean, I think that's a mistake, yeah. right? I think it's a teaching moment and you should use it going forward, but to there's nothing, you can't change the past. So what you can do is shape the future. No, I mean, that's great. So you just, you kind of just like, okay, that happened. As long as I learned from it, it was, it was productive. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that's like the goal mindset. You'll be surprised. A lot of people don't think like that. A lot of people are like, well, I think it's human uh, nature to dwell on yeah. things, but, you know, and I'm not saying I'm perfect at it, right? I'm always, uh, <laughs> you know, I always say things like I'm 87% good on that one. You know, like there's always <laughs> times that, you know, of course you're going to dwell and make sure, you know, or nobody wants to make a mistake, period. But I also assume that like you as well, like feel like you could still improve. I mean, I hope mm-hmm. everyone thinks they could still improve. And I think if you feel like you can't anymore, then maybe it's like, you you know. You need new challenges. Yeah, it's not, I don't know. And I feel like you always can. You always can, I think. Like, so I don't know. But I'm also curious then about, you know, I was talking to actually, I don't know if you know Jade's dad, who's like a chef. He's like a chef. Mm -hmm. Anyways, he was basically talking about like empathy within the workspace. But like for you, empathy, I'm I'm curious of how you 
build strong and like trusting relationships with like your clients and like, you know, what strategies you've developed over the years, you know, because also this, this could apply to anyone who's like a service, you know, not just law, obviously, but any tactics you've. Well, I guess when you say empathy in the workplace and then talk about clients, I'm not sure that I see it that way. I think of empathy in the Mm. workplace, maybe as the people that work for me. Um, and you know, how they're treated and what the like relationship. As a leader, as like a leader. Yeah, yeah, what the relationship is opposed to the the client. Because the truth is that, you know, you're ser- I'm a service provider. So what the client wants within reason is, you know, what I'm gonna deliver and I'm gonna give them the best work product that I can. So, you know, if they're on if you if you mean like if they're being unreasonable, how do I deal with that? That's sort of, you know, a different issue. Um but if there's like an associate, um, which is, you know, there's in law firms, there's associates. And then sometimes there's counsel who sort of, that's a, I guess, a better title and uh, then partners in law firms. So I think associates are aiming some of them, right, to become partners and, you know, to to be, to empathize uh, with them, I suppose, in terms of having to work really hard and, you know, do the research and the writing and uh, put a lot of effort into it and be tolerant of people's work-life balance is, uh, you know, sort of an interesting thing. Would you say it's important in law, like all that emotional stuff or like, like, or would you say it's more like, it's very, like, it seems like with the clients, it's very transactional. I mean, obviously it is transactional, but would you say it also feels transactional? Um, yeah, I mean, it is transactional. There's, you know, you develop relationships with the people that you work with. So if I'm restructuring a company, I get to know the management team and the board of directors and you build relationships with those people and maybe some of the employees, right? So in a financially distressed company, there's, you know, very interesting issues that can affect different people and their jobs and their pay. So on that level, you know, very empathetic and try to do, you know, what's within the bounds of the law, because there's, you know, there are rules and things you have to comply with, but do what you can, right, to make things um, the best that can be for everyone around. Yeah. And how do you, I know you already touched on it, but how do you manage like expectations of like clients, like, cause obviously you have to provide them with like honest and realistic like advice that you have, or do you, are you, are you very like straightforward and cutthroat? Like, no, we can't, we can't do this. Like, or we can't do this. Or like, are you trying to like, yeah, it depends. I'm, your approach. I'm, you know, pride myself on being a creative lawyer. And so I will try to figure out a creative solution or a solution to whatever the problem is. Sometimes there are problems that can't be fixed, but for the most part, there are ways to approach problems um, that even if it's not the best outcome of what the person would have preferred, it's it's a better outcome than what it could otherwise be. What I do is really, you know, there's a lot of negotiation and in bankruptcy, if you think about a transaction, uh, like a normal non-distressed transaction, um, that there's a big pie and everyone gets to eat the pie, the whole pie. In my world, there's one slice of the pie and everybody is fighting over that one slice. And so um, there's a lot of personalities and, um, you know, interests that need to be balanced in order to um, get 
people a piece of the pie. And I feel like a lot of times people make compromises in order to, and if, if nobody in my world, if nobody is happy, but everyone's satisfied, that's what we're going for. I think in a, in a, in a non-distressed transaction, people want to just feel good about it. And they're not looking to, you know, compromise to the middle, but a middle compromise in my world is a good thing. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's different expectations in general. For Correct. What's wanted. I mean, what would you say are like, you know, we actually, you know, there's a lot of kids that are aspiring lawyers and what would you just tell them for the, the ones that are listening in, like some intangibles like that have unex- that you've unexpectedly like realized you needed? Right? People probably know like you need to be smart. You need to be, you know, this or that. But Well, I mean, there's lots of different types of lawyers. So different people can have different expectations. If you yeah. don't like to speak in public, you probably shouldn't become a litigator, right? You don't want to go to court, but you should and I don't know all the different areas of law, right? So I have only practiced so restructuring, um, which is, you know, big on advocacy. But so I think it depends on the type of law that people are interested in and um, to figure out a subject that they might want to do repeatedly for 40 or 50 years. But I would say that... Um, What's important, regardless, I think, as a lawyer, at least, and my my experience is limited to big law firms for the most part. So, but is to be driven, detail oriented, um, you know, to think outside the box, to be willing to participate and not just stand by. Um, I think the types of skills that you learn in high school, honestly, are the types of skills that you hone in college and you should continue to and apply them in, in your, in your job. Yeah. I, I mean, it seems like those are just general as well. Like just good life skills to have. A hundred percent. I think it applies to every job. Honestly, I don't think it's, I hold people to a very high standard, but I feel like people should hold themselves to high standards as well. I hold myself to a high standard. I would never ask somebody to do something I wouldn't do. Um, and I feel like that's, that's a great mindset. I feel like a lot of people don't live by that. Yeah, I think that that's probably right. But I think that if you do, you know, you'll be successful in whatever it is that, you know, however you define success and not to let other people get in your way or put roadblocks or figure out how to get around those roadblocks. Yeah, I mean, this has been great. And one more question for you, Robin. Um, as I know, you also have you have a daughter yourself, right? That's you know in the same age range. And I don't know if you know this, but there's a lot of pressure in general on kids on like you know, and this is what this podcast is for, right? Like, what's your what's the passion? What do you want to do when you're older? And like, to be honest, like I don't know, and a lot of kids don't know, right? Yeah. But I feel like adult, you know, certain adults expect that, and so. If you were sitting in a and this is the final question I ask everyone, if you were like sitting in a room, it's a hard question. Sitting in a room, you know, there's a million kids like me, and then we're we're all like, Robin, Robin, like, you know, like <laughs> how do we how do we find our our passion? Like, and then honestly, they might say to you, like, oh, it seems like you kind of you've had it down for a while, you know, we're not like you. Like, how basically how would you comfort them? You know, what would you tell them about like life in general and like Okay, so first of all, you made a big leap. I'm not passionate about law. It is my profession, yeah, right? Yeah. So I think that if you're you're lucky, if you can figure out what your passion is and then be able to pursue it as a job, I think that that would be the luckiest thing you can do, which is figure out what you like to do and what skills 
are entailed, you know, with respect to what you like. And then if you could find a profession that would hold your attention and that you're passionate about, I think that that would be the best thing anyone can do. You know, you can watch like Instagram or whatever. And like, there's lots of people who give lectures on, on that in particular. It's like, write it down, figure out what your passion is. I have to say that I'm not that kind of person. There was not like a passion that I was after. You know, I certainly wasn't like, I want to be a bankruptcy lawyer, right? Like that wasn't. (laughs) I didn't, I don't, yeah. Right. But, but, but I think that, you know, when you go to college in particular, um, if you don't know what you want to do, you have the option to take a lot of classes and really diversify and see what interests you. And then once you find something that interests you to pursue that, right? And then to to figure out, I mean, you guys have so much at your fingertips, the internet, right? And all these resources to figure out Too what- Too much now. It's scary. I know. It is- um, it is hard. There is a lot. There are a lot of choices, right? I was saying to someone the other day, I'm like, there's too many choices. We suffer from having too many choices, right? <laughs> um, but there's a lot of options. And even if there's not options, you can create your own options, right? You can be an entrepreneur and start a business. I mean, you're doing this podcast on your own. That's pretty amazing. Um, oh, thanks. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, you must be passionate about it because why else would you do it? Um, and so you think you're not passionate, but you have passion. And I, I would say to kids your age, like, what are you doing? What, what is it that you do in your daily life that makes you happy? Right. And are, and like, obviously everyone likes to watch TV or play video games or whatever, (laughs) but I mean, you know, practically speaking, right. Exactly. But, and you know, some people will turn their careers into something TV related, um, or maybe they'll code or, you know what I mean? There's, there are skills that you could put together depending on, on what you like. But I think it's to pay attention to yourself and what you like. Um, what yeah. do you like about, you know, doing a podcast? No, I mean, yeah, no, I mean, this is, honestly, I've been trying to improve my, like we were talking about before, my like thinking on my feet. Cause obviously these questions, you know, they kind of just come and go. I'm obviously still getting better at it. So. Well, I thought but, you did a great job. I think a lot of people would have a written script um, for this. Yeah, and, no, those are two. No, that dude, I, I actually used to do that. I don't know, like you know, I used to. Right. So this is like, the exact. And wait, what is your name? Like it was so. But was but so. that's what I'm talking about, Dylan. It's exactly what I'm talking about. Is like building on your skills. So you write it down, and you learn it, and you give like you know, there the first podcasts were probably much more stiff, and now that you've done it a bunch of times. <laughs> I didn't post that. Right. But this is the exact example I'm talking about. Like you do it a a bunch of times and you feel more confident and you're more fluid with it and you're able to get to very, you know, better levels. I mean, maybe you'll become a professional radio person, you know, whatever. My parents will be jumping for joy. (laughs) Don't tell them I said that. (laughs) (laughs) But um, also, yeah, one more thing then as well, like the, because obviously we talk about, you know, passion but also careers and life you know I think when when does it take I mean I know like literally you need to have money to live but like when does it take you know I guess like a switch where you're like you know I love this but like maybe it's more of a hobby for me versus you know keep going for a full career out of it like when would you you just over time you kind of like mature and you realize that you would say I think it depends on your personality and what you what you want out of life, what you're able to get. I mean, I think it's different for everyone. I think that, you know, teachers are severely underpaid, right? But a lot of them are very passionate about what, they, what they're what they doing. 
So, or if there's another job that, um, you know, maybe you're not being paid as much as somebody on Wall Street or a big law firm or whatever it is in business, right? But you're passionate about something and you don't want to give that up. And I think you just make choices. And as you get older, you just keep making choices. And sometimes people will make choices for the money. Sometimes people will make choices for the passion. And if you're lucky, you can do both. That's the, that's the dream. That is the dream. I I, mean, I guess you have a, if you have a passion for money, that's your passion to get a higher paying job. There you go. Yeah. But I think so. money is, I mean, personally, I think money is not going to be the end all be all for most people, right? Like everyone wants, well, not everyone, most people want to make money. Um, and so you'll maybe slot yourself into the type of career that would get you what you need or what you want to be successful or what you consider success because different people yeah. have different definitions of success financially and otherwise, right? So the person with a $10 million mansion, somebody makes, you know, $100,000, they might be equally happy or maybe the person who has $100,000 is happier than the person who has $10 million. Yeah, so no, absolutely. It's really a matter of finding what, what you, you like, are, right? So, like, say you wanted to pursue a podcast, like that's was your job. I don't know how radio, right? Radio <laughs> advertising, right? That's how you made your money. Um, and if you were, if you were doing it, and then all of a sudden you woke up and you're 26, and you know, living in a your parents' basement, oh, and I was <laughs> <laughs> oh no, don't fake this picture for me. Um, no. no, I'm just saying, like, if you, you know, and then maybe you would say to yourself, okay, it's time. But I don't think there's a, a cutoff line. I think for each person, they just figure it out. And I personally believe you should try to pursue your passions when you're younger if you can afford to. Right? Yeah, like because no regrets, that's the time yeah. to where you have minimal responsibilities if you're lucky. Um yes. right. And right. So enjoy while you have it and explore while you can. And then at some point the the, the switch does flip, right? Because you want to be a responsible adult and um probably make money. But again, there's lots of different people with lots of different ambitions or lack thereof. And you know, um I have friends in different, way different stratospheres, right? Money, money wise. And they're all happy or relatively happy. Everyone has a give and take. No, I mean, this has been great. Thank you, Robin, so much for this. Thank whole you episode. for having me. No, Always know. a Thank pleasure to talk to you. Of course.